How do great business leaders assemble and motivate high-performing teams? Is it their charisma? Or is there actually a system that you could duplicate? Today's guest, Mike Goldman, has the answer as we talk about the secrets of massively successful business teams. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Mike Goldman, a business high performance coach who helps businesses achieve dramatic growth. In a minute, he'll tell us how he accomplishes that, but first, a little bit more about Mike. Who is this guy? Well, he's a heavyweight. He's worked for consulting giants, Accenture and Deloitte Consulting, where he's helped companies like Verizon, Disney, Polo, Ralph Lauren, Chanel, Kmart, Dillard's, Liz Claiborne, and Levi Strauss. In 2007, he went out on his own and founded Performance Breakthrough to help mid-sized companies apply the same strategies the big boys do. And he does this by working with leadership teams to ensure that they have the right people, strategies, and execution habits for growth. Mike is also a nationally recognized speaker and author of the book, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. It is a pleasure to have him here with us. Welcome to Business Confidential, Mike. Hannah, thank you very much. Glad to be here. You've got a very impressive background, and you've been helping businesses take their performance to the next level for quite some time. So tell me about your book, Performance Breakthrough, and what inspired you to write it? Well, it, it was uh, the, the first edition uh, that I started writing was, was uh, uh, a number of years ago. And <clears throat> what happened is I had been doing a lot of public speaking and workshops for companies on how to improve employee productivity and retention. And along that same time, my wife and I went to uh, an event. My, my son has something called Asperger's syndrome and we were watching this uh, speaker up on stage talking about how to raise resilient children uh he was a, a, a prominent uh, therapist and realized what he was telling us about how to raise resilient children was almost word for word what i had been talking to companies about for a number of years and how to uh, improve employee retention improve passion improve productivity and that kind of planted the seed of an idea so i wound up writing a book the book is told in the form of a story it's semi-autobiographical it's about a dad of a son with asperger's who's also running a business and he learns a whole bunch of things from his his son's therapist that actually help him uh, grow his business so uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, inspiration for the book and that's why i wrote it in the uh, in more of a uh, parable style. Interesting. Now, one of the things you talk about in your book is how important it is for everyone in the organization at all levels to be passionate about their work. Why is that so important? I think it's the most important thing when you're talking about any organization. There was a Gallup study done a number of years ago and just redone with the same results kind of recently that said only 29 people are truly engaged 
in their work. And by the way, they, they surveyed leaders, and you'd think leaders would be more engaged. Those numbers were actually slightly lower, which was incredible to me. So 29% of people truly engaged. What scares me is when I look at the, the opposite of that, which is 71% of people are kind of sleepwalking through the day. And, and that's scary. When I look at that, I look at the impact not only that has to a company in that if 29% of people are truly engaged, that's kind of like a company running on one-third power, which is scary. Uh, but it's also more, you know, from an individual standpoint. How many people are just kind of sleepwalking through the, their careers or working their whole lives for, you know, just so they could retire one day, and then by the time they retire, you know, life's almost done. So, you know, I, I think it's important that people are able to enjoy their work, get passion from their work. I find the biggest obstacle to growth for companies is having the right people. You know, if you want to be uh, an incredible company, you've got to have incredible, incredible people that are passionate about what they're doing. And passion is not just about, well, I want to have fun at work. Passion is, uh, passionate employees are more productive, they're more creative, uh, and they refer other really passionate people to come to work for you. So, so I think passion is, is absolutely critical to, to growing a business, but also uh, being happy within the business you're growing. That's interesting, especially the number you shared and how leaders have even less engagement. How scary is that? It's unbelievable to me. I mean, that was a surprise. I would have thought that number would have gone up, uh, would be higher than, than the, rest of, uh, the rest of the population. It's really interesting and really important to be aware of that because, uh, you know, I've, I've heard this before and you might have as well. People don't quit companies. People quit managers. So if you've got a manager that's not really passionate, not really engaged about what they're doing, the chances of them uh, finding keeping, motivating, leveraging A players on the team is really, really low. So if you've got a leader that's not passionate, that is absolutely not a recipe for success. And maybe that's where the corner offices need to start when when trying to amp things up. Now, you know, some people feel that passion is an overused word in business or maybe that it's too touchy-feely. What do you say to folks like that? I guess you could look at touchy-feely as a bad thing or a good thing, but uh, but I don't think it's overused at all. I think there are still too many people that believe, well, he should be passionate about his job. I'm paying him, aren't I? As long as I'm paying him, you know, they ought to be motivated to, to you know, to do what they need to do. There's still, I think, a, a predominance of this more traditional old world thinking that we all just ought to be happy we have a job and shut up and go do your job. So I think, I, I don't think it's an overused word at all. And I think it's it starts from the top. I mean, uh, in my own life, I had, when I, I left consulting for about three years and started a, a staffing and recruiting company. And in those three years, I effectively drove that business into the ground because it wasn't something I was passionate about. I love what I do today in, in helping companies. And I've been doing it, you know, most of my, you know, 28 or so year career. When I tried to start a business that uh, was not something I was passionate about. Uh, it was a way for me to get off the road from all the consulting I was doing.
doing to the Fortune 500 companies way back when. There's no way I was going to be able to make that business work because it wasn't what I was passionate about. It wasn't consistent with my life's purpose and and what I wanted to do. So it's not just about touchy-feely employees, uh, you know, feeling good about what they're doing. You know, it's really about doing something that's consistent with your purpose, consistent with, you know, with your strengths and your talents. um, And that's going to drive productivity, profitability, creativity. It's just, uh, you know, can't, can't overstate how important it is. I like that idea about aligning it with your purpose so that it's consistent. Otherwise, it's just drudgery and and work. Now, you've worked with a number of different companies throughout the years and when they've encountered growing pains and scaling. Now, what do you find are they doing wrong? Well, it really it really comes down to, to four critical areas, and, and I'll tell you what they are, but then I'm going to narrow it down to the two that are the biggest problems. And when I work with companies, uh, we really, I, I work with them to look at opportunities they have, mistakes they might be making in four critical areas. It's easy to over uh, overcomplicate things and look at 28 different things, but business really comes down to four key decision areas growth companies have to get right. Uh, and the first one is people. People is, do I have the right people on the bus? Do I have the right culture? Are people, people happy, engaged, collaborating? You know, th- there's the people side. Then you've got strategy. Strategy is really about revenue growth. If you don't have consistent revenue growth, then you've got a strategy problem. And strategy is also about kind of longer term and, and value proposition and all those kinds of things. Uh, so you've got people, you've got strategy. The third one is execution. Execution is where you turn that hard-earned revenue into profit. Execution is where you want all processes running without drama, with discipline, with accountability. And then the last of those four decisions is cash. Cash is the oxygen. You know, without the right cash, uh, you wind up making short-term decisions based on not having enough cash that will kill your business in the long term. Business is a lot like Monopoly. You run out of money, the game is over. So you've got those four areas. But what I find, and it's interesting, I'm just finishing off today writing a a small ebook on this subject, which is called Right People, Right Execution. And then kind of the subtitle is Strategy is Overrated. And, you know, there's no lack of really smart people out there coming up with great strategies. I just did a two-hour talk for an MBA, college MBA uh, business class last night, and, and it's an entrepreneurship class. And there's all this focus on strategy, having the right idea, what market should I go after, you know, all these things that obviously are critically important. But what people don't realize is you, if you have the right strategy, you can have a great strategy. If you don't have the right people executing with discipline and accountability, you fail. You go out of business, I don't care how great your strategy is. You could have a mediocre strategy, but have A players, terrific people within the organization, all executing with discipline and accountability. And with that mediocre strategy, you will blow away the competition. So I really think it comes down to, to, to maximizing your A players, and I think it comes down to having, uh, uh, you know, having the, the, the right execution disciplines, and which, which comes down to how do I set the right priorities and have people aligned around them? How do I, how do I keep score so people know whether we're winning or losing the game? Uh, and how do I have the right meeting rhythms to hold people accountable and have the right level of communication? 
I like that. That's very good. And, you know, it, we see this happen in sports all the time. You see the players that are supposed to have all this high potential. They don't apply themselves. And someone who maybe doesn't have as much innate talent but is works really hard at it and has the right coaching, and they have the superior performance. So it really is a big leadership challenge, I think, in order to get the right mix, in order to get the performance out of the right mix. One of the keys there, and when you talk about that that player that that may not have the innate skill, but they've got got the heart, is when you hire folks and when you evaluate folks, it's not just looking at performance, or, or I'm sorry, not just looking at productivity is the better word. We tend to look at productivity as the only measure. When we also need to be looking at whether whether folks are living have the ability to live your core values as an organization. Are they the right fit? Do they have are they a fit for the personality of your organization, the attitude of your organization. And what I find is if someone is not as productive as you'd like them to be, but they are a great fit for the organization, they've got the right attitude, they're incredibly coachable to improve their productivity. But if you've got somebody who's not living the core values, it's typically almost impossible to coach someone to be something they're not. So, so core values to me are living those core, understanding your core values and having people that live the core values to me is, is a critical piece of this. That's a good point. What I've encountered is people that, well, they sort of live the core values, but the performance measure is purely financial, and then they wind up cutting corners and getting into legal headaches as a result. So that it has an amazing amount of consequences when you don't get it right. Now, in the scaling up process, you talked about these four critical areas. When you're dealing with small companies or, or medium or large companies, do you find that these four areas have the same amount of impact or depending on the size, maybe one is more dominant than another in terms of being a stumbling block and a challenge? Yeah, no, I don't really think it depends on the size. It doesn't depend on the industry. You know, what I find, and certainly, you know, all clients are different to some degree, so it's not totally black and white. But what I find is, and I kind of, you know, alluded to this earlier, that initially where clients want to focus, where companies want to focus is figuring out some incredible new strategy that's just going to be this magic pill that's going to, you know, take them to the moon. And where they really need to focus, the bigger stumbling blocks initially are, they've got the wrong people or, 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 or they haven't really created an effective culture that would allow people to motivate themselves. In fact, when I work with a client, one of the first questions I ask them when we start talking about people and of those four decisions areas, people is the one I always cover first. The question I ask them is, if you had to do it all over again, would you enthusiastically rehire everyone on your team? And I typically get some uncomfortable looks and some snickers and, and you know, because typically people wouldn't do that. You know, they would love to get rid of a bunch of people. They, they'd love to get some better folks in there. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't have an incredible company unless you've got incredible people. So honestly answering that question, would I enthusiastically rehire everyone? And that includes the CEO asking that about the folks on his or her leadership team. It's got to start there, and it's got, and, and, and you know, with an understanding of how do I figure out who my A, B, and C players are? How do I look at my A players, and how do I best leverage those A players? How do I re-recruit those A players? How do I get those A players to introduce me to other A players? And then what about these C players? You know, what do I do with them? Do I continue to try and coach them and drive the business into, into the ground? Or do I, you know, uh, fairly quickly, do I, I, what I call, free them up to become A players? players 
somewhere else. Uh, you know, my philosophy, which sounds kind of harsh, but it's not, is fire fast and hire slow. So, so that first stumbling block I find 95% of the time has to do with people. They're having the right people, the right culture. And then very close after that is struggles with how do I hold people accountable? And people not having those right execution disciplines, not aligning around the right priorities, not having the right meeting rhythms, and not having the right ways of, of keeping score. So uh, people, number one, execution, number two. That's an interesting way of putting it, allowing people to be free and A players somewhere else. You know, <laughs> I've it sounds a, lot, it sounds a lot nicer than fire their ass, right? Well, no, but, you know, it, at the end of the day, it is about finding a, a graceful way to, to terminate. And in the end, they'll be happier, you'll be happier. The question is, how do you bridge that transition in a way that, that doesn't cause them to fall into a free fall? Because at certain stages of your career, you have more and more financial responsibilities, families, tuition payments, mortgages, car payment. I mean, it just goes on and on. And that's what people freak out with the most, I think. Like, what is this going to mean financially? Will I find something else that will sustain the same lifestyle, the same benefits? I mean, medical benefits are just huge these days. There's all these unanswered questions and fears. So to help make that transition smooth, it's always good to address that. Yeah, but I always find it curious as to why senior management, particularly CEOs, I mean, I love the question that you pose to them. Would you enthusiastically rehire them? And, you know, the kind of paused, halted, stilted response that you get. But then how come it's so hard for them to cut loose? I, I get the sense in folks I've dealt with, they'd rather limp along than have somebody new that, they just don't know what's coming at them. It could be worse than what they have because, you know, hiring process isn't perfect. And so they may do unless something really bad happens. What, what yeah. happens is they fall into something called the C-player trap. And the C-player mm-hmm. trap, I'd like to say the trap is we're all such nice people. We don't want to let anybody go. But that's not really it. I mean, that happens sometimes. The C-player trap is saying, well, yes, this person is not performing. Yes, this person is not living the core values. Yes, this person is a cancer in my organization. But if I let them go, I'm going to be short-staffed, which to me is almost laughable, but, but I do understand the logic. And, and the problem with this C-player trap and the fallacy is number one, um, and I love, you know, Kip Tindall, who's the CEO and founder of the Container Store, uh, wrote a book called Uncontainable, which is real, real good. His philosophy, which I love, says one great person, one high performer equals three mediocre performers. One high performer equals three mediocre performers. And I believe that. I've seen it. So I have seen more often than not by cutting loose a C player, productivity around them goes up, not down. And you, if you've got three C players, you know, you can cut loose. You, you may be able to hire one A player who's going to replace those three C players. So productivity goes up, not down, when you lose that person. And I think the problem, too, is people don't have an effective recruiting process. So what winds up happening is, yes, if they let that C player go, they're going to be short-staffed because now they've got to start recruiting to replace that person. And it may be months before they find the right person. And, and one of the things I recommend clients do, and there's another great book called Top Grading that talks about this, one of the things I recommend clients do is, you know, always be recruiting. 
create what's called a virtual bench. You ought to be talking all the time to the folks you know and saying, hey, we're growing in all areas of our company. Who are some superstars you know that I ought to talk to? And you can start building relationships with those folks. Chances are they're not looking for a job right now. Chances are you may not need them right now. But if you're building those relationships over time, before you know it as a leadership team, if you're all doing that, you've got dozens of of potential A players sitting on your virtual bench. And now when someone does leave or you let somebody go, you've got that virtual bench of people to call. Chances are much greater that you're going to be able to replace that person with with an A player very quickly. So I think people fall into that C player trap. They're afraid of being short-staffed, and there are absolutely ways around it. That's a great succession planning strategy. What I want to focus on now, we talked about what they do wrong. Let's talk about other things they do right. Is the succession planning strategy you just outlined what you'd say one of the top strategies is for companies getting more engagement? Is there What else would you put up at the top of the list? Yeah, I think the other things at the top of the list, and some of the things I, I mention in my book, uh, which talks about the four secrets of, of passionate organizations, is you know it becomes about you know leveraging leveraging strengths of the individuals on the team. You know, how do you make sure that you are not just kind of treating everybody the, exactly the same, and they all have the same job description? How do you understand what makes people unique from a talent standpoint? From from a learning style standpoint, from a motivational standpoint, we're not all motivated by the same thing. How do you understand what their strengths are and how do you best leverage those strengths by saying, you know what, you're great in these areas. How can we figure out how to get you spending more time in the areas where you've got this natural talent? And let's minimize some of those areas where maybe you don't have the natural talent that you're not as passionate about. You know, and there are companies out there that are doing, you know, a great job of that. I've got some, I've got some case studies in my book that show it's not just you could look at companies you know like Google and then oh they got dog walking services and restaurants you know on their campus and all this stuff and say well I'm a smaller mid-sized company I can't afford all that stuff there's a whole bunch you could do that doesn't cost a penny you know and those are the things I talk about in my book one of the the case studies in my book is an organization called Greater Mankato Growth Inc. out of Minnesota they're kind of a combination chamber of commerce and and business development group within uh, uh, Mankato, Minnesota. Jonathan Zerd is the president and CEO. Um, and he's gone through incredible, uh, you know, extremes to leverage the strengths of the folks on his team. He actually has a, a big table with kind of people down the left and, and, and strengths, you know, along the top, a big matrix. And if they're sitting in the meeting and they're talking about something, he'll look around and say, you know what, there's nobody in this room that has this strength we need to make this decision. And he'll go out and pull somebody out of the hallway that's got that strength and say, hey, you know, come on in and be part of this meeting. There are companies that do a great job of of celebrating results, which is a a big part of it. One of my clients called Dial America, you know, based in New Jersey, created a contest, uh, you know, a fun contest for their customer service organization to actually develop new business, which was typically on the job of the sales and business development folks. Uh, But I went in and did some coaching for them on, on how they could actually develop business within the service area, um, and they created a, a theme and a contest around that, and they made it fun for everybody, and, and they got a lot of, of value out of it. They got a, a number of new clients out of it, had a lot of fun, and created more engagement. So, so there are companies out there doing some, some great things, uh, and they're things that, that don't take uh, a ton of time and don't cost a lot of money. 
Do you have any other examples of something you mentioned before that there are some things that don't cost a cent? And for the smaller companies that don't have deep pockets, what would be another example of something that could be easy to implement and doesn't cost an arm and a leg or really cost much of anything except maybe a good idea and some creativity? Yeah, I mean, a real, uh, you know, a, a real small, you know, easy example is, you know, I, the first secret I talk about in my book is called acceptance. And acceptance is accepting that not everybody's like you, that we're all different. We all have different motivations, different learning styles, different career goals, different cultural backgrounds. And as leaders and managers, there's a tendency to treat everybody the same. And we say, you know, well, that's fair. It's fair to treat everybody the same. No, it's not fair to treat everybody the same. It's easy to treat everybody the same, and that's why we do it. So one of the things I recommend in my book is you've got to find out, you know, there's the golden rule, right, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. And most people would agree with that. I think that's a horrible way to, <laughs> to treat people. Why should I treat people the way I want to be treated? That assumes everybody's like me. I want to use the platinum rule. I want to treat them the way they want to be treated. So the key is, how do I find out how they want to be treated? Well, it doesn't cost any money to sit down and have a conversation with the individuals on your team, not your team as a group, but with the individuals on your team, and have a conversation to find out what motivates them, to understand what, what their learning styles are, to understand if there's some things going on in their cultural background that, that, that are going to impact them at work. And you've got to, it's not that easy. You've got to know how to ask the questions. If I sit down with someone that works for me and I say, tell me what motivates you, I'm going to get some garbage that, uh, that they think I want to hear. I'm not going to get the truth. So you've got to ask that question in more of a behavioral interviewing kind of way and say something like, um, you know, hey, tell me about a time that you were super motivated at work and let them tell you that story and then say, well, what happened? What, what was that trigger to get you more? Why did you feel so motivated to do that? And you ask questions like that and you can ask the same question about learning style. Hey, what was, what was the time when you, that you learned something great and you learned it real quickly? You know, what, how, did, how did you learn it? Did you read about it? Did you watch somebody do it? Did you role play? You can ask questions to find out a whole lot about people that will totally change and uh, give you incredible improvement on how you manage folks, the amount of engagement you get, and the amount of productivity you get. So that's just one example of, of dozens. Those are great suggestions. Of course, in order to get straight answers, even to those other types of behavioral questions, there needs to be an element of trust. And sometimes in an organization, if things have been going sideways culturally for a while, trust can be on the real low side. It may be important to decide who asks those questions if you really are serious about getting those answers. Absolutely. Now, in closing, because we're just about out of time, what's the one thing you'd recommend a small or mid-sized business owner go out and do right now with their business in order to have a performance breakthrough? I think a great thing to do is, is to really step back and assess your company from the standpoint of those four decision areas I talked about before, people, strategy, execution, cash. Step back from the day-to-day. -day. So many business owners are so mired in the day-to-day, -day, they can't really step back and think about the business. Block out some time, look at those four decision areas, and come up with what's that one area, not 15 things I'm going to do. What's the one thing I've got to focus on? And start moving on that. Now, I've got on my website, performance-breakthrough.com, there's something called a four decisions assessment, which is a 40-question assessment that a CEO can take. It's better if a whole leadership team 
takes it, you're going to get some better results and understand alignment. But that's a great way to kind of take an assessment, understand within people, strategy, execution, and cash, find out where your opportunity areas are. And then again, the key is don't say now we've got to go fix these 12 things. Pick one. Pick one that you need to that, that you're going to work to improve on over the next 90 days. Create some accountability for for who's going to drive doing that. Create a plan, and one at a time. You know, every 90 days, uh, one more improvement in the business, and before you know it, you're going to be a very different company. Now, what was that website again with that assessment? The assessment sounds like it's a very powerful tool here. What is that site? It's my website, performance-breakthrough.com performance-breakthrough.com. Okay, check it out. And besides that particular tip, if somebody wanted to find your book, Mike, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations, where would they go? Easiest way is to go on Amazon, do a search on Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations, or probably just Performance Breakthrough will get you there. It's for sale on Amazon. You could also find it on the website I just gave you, performance-breakthrough.com. And I do have a website specific to my book, which also includes some uh, thought starters on there and some case studies and some best practices. And that website is called passionateorganizations.com. I love free resources, and I'm sure our listeners do too. And if you've been listening and found Mike's advice helpful, please share it with your friends or your business partners. One of the great things about Business Confidential is that this episode is available for download and replay. So share if you care. And also let me know what your thoughts are about today's show. I'd love to hear about it from either send me an email or tweet. You can send me an email at hannah at businessconfidentialradio.com. Love to hear from you. And, Mike, thanks so much for sharing your expertise and experiences with us today. This, I think, has been really insightful and, and helps people have a different perspective on their business. It's so easy to work in it instead of on it, and this helps us step back. So thank you so much. Hannah, thank you. It's been fun. Great. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. 
and connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.